listening to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse with host Shereen Rice on the CWR Talk Network. Good evening. This is Shereen Rice with Making a Difference About Domestic Violence. My goal for this show is to educate and help in a healing journey for those that are suffering from domestic abuse. I am pre-recording this show, so you can't call in um, tonight, so I'm sorry for that. Um, if you're listening tonight and you would like to get in touch with me or get in touch with my guest as well, you can email me, though, at shereencwr at gmail.com. Let me spell that out for you, S-H-A-R-E-E-N-E-C-W-R at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I will pass on any questions that you have for our guests. I want to do a shout-out tonight for uh, Yuda in Tokerville, and thank you for listening. And I'd like to remind everyone that our show is now on every Thursday night, 6 p.m. Pacific, 7 Mountain, and 8 Central Time. My show can also be heard on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play if you subscribe to those services. If you want direct links to those services, you may go to our CWR homepage, and um, that is cwrtalknetwork.com, and you can click on the logo for that service. If at any time that you experience a trigger for this topic, please call the national hotline. That's 1-800-799-SAFE, 1-800-799-7233. So please be very careful while you're listening to things. If it starts to trigger you, please um, call that number. Okay, so we have a great guest tonight. I've known her for several years. Um, She's a professional woman, um, Carolyn. And she's a mother of three. And she has extensive experience in legal abuse. And sometimes we don't know exactly what that is. Uh, legal abuse is when your companion or your husband or your um, whatever <laughs> um, starts to use the legal system to abuse you. Now, that could either be through law enforcement, that could be through the DA's office, that could be through judges, or it could be... Uh, a lot of different ways, and Carolyn has extensive experience in this, and as far as I know, probably one of the the worst cases I've ever seen, and she's uh, accepted to come on to our show tonight and discuss this. It's a very difficult um, topic, so uh, we will be patient uh, with her as she gets, goes through this. Okay, Carolyn, can you hear me? Hi, Shireen. I'm Carolyn. How are you doing? Good, Jereen. Thank you for having me tonight. <laughs> You're welcome. Hey, um, did you hear my introduction? Like how awesome you were and everything? <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> you know, <it's... laughs> hey, but anyway, um, so on my um, uh, listeners tonight, I promised them that you would talk to us about um, the legal system and how it, it re-victimizes abuse victims. Um, at times is used by the abusers themselves to re-victimize their uh, victims. And since you have a lot of experience in this, unfortunately, first-hand experience, and um, it's really not a laughing matter. But can you start to share your story? How did everything start out? Why don't you tell us a little bit about your story with your abuser to start with there? Well, in my situation, the jabs and the uh, abuse started out small. I didn't recognize it as abuse for a long time because it was a series of emotional abuse that led up to increasing intensity and frequency to 
to where I couldn't really understand what was going on and it wasn't until I got distance. I have been separated from my abuser for over three years now and during that time I was thrown into a whirlwind from hell. Um, he took me to court um, over and over and over and actually accused me of the things he was doing in order to distort and deceive the courts and I had to defend myself against a pack of lies on numerous occasions. Um, I lost custody of my son for over a year because of that and then got it restored when the truth came out and the judge it was clear and irrefutable evidence which was incredible and, and that um, it was false and um, we actually had the child move states because of it and um, I've had court battles and I just oh Shireen I just get me get me started on this and um, it just there is so much here that I want to just tell the world because um, it just became um, I think if this were to be rated on a series of uh, um, levels of intense experiences. I think this case is probably one of the worst ones ever documented as far as legal abuse goes. I mean, I'd say I'd be up there with a few of them. I had to leave the state because the restraining order that I requested was denied, and I came, you know, over 1,600 miles away, and he filed for um, court proceedings when his counsel knew which judge was going to be on the bench and his counsel advised him to wait to file ex parte. And as you know, ex parte are emergency orders. So if there's an emergent situation, you can file it with one or two days, get on the court calendar within that week, and they can hear you. He waited 20 days to file an ex parte motion because he knew which judge would be serving on that bench. And um he had the financial backing to um, pay for that kind of counsel and advice. And um, it just, it became a nightmare um, basically. Now what's an ex parte just in case uh, none of my um, listeners know what that is exactly. Right. So in the court system, when there's a domestic violence situation or, or family dynamics that have gone really sour and there is a danger to a child or to yourself and a child is being abused emotionally and you can prove it physically with bruising or sexually and all of those terrible things are occurring, you can request an ex parte hearing in your court order where the judge will bump it up or clear out a space in their booked calendar so that can be heard within two to three business days. I mean, within that week. Okay. Um, they, they have yeah. the ability to do ex parte hearings. Um, this was one of my ex's tactics against me because he would do this multiple times when he knew that I wouldn't be available to be present at court on those days. And it was only by the fluke of a paralegal, and I say by the grace of God, that this paralegal called me and said, oh, by the way, you have a court date. And it ended up being a mistake. It was for someone else. But we looked on the calendar for me. And I, in fact, did have a court date. And he would try to um, do this without notifying me in order to push um, his agenda of um, perpetration. I, so what happened with me is I joined the, whoops, so I married a pedophile club. And when I found out that this behavior was occurring, there was no way that I could stay in that kind of a, in that kind of a relationship. Right. And when my own children started showing signs of sexual abuse, um, I, 
and it came to a realization that this was occurring, um, I dry heaved, I vomited, and I couldn't stand the thought of ever reconciling with this person ever again. And he has used the legal system to try to say that I was a pedophile and he would coerce my child into saying, mommy has done um, inappropriate touching. And so for a while, he would try these tactics of ex parte hearing, have my son's statements presented to the court, and I didn't have custody of my son for a year. I had visitation only because of this, and when it all unraveled, I got custody restored. But it was a battle to be sure. Yeah, and um, if I remember correctly, uh, you found out that he was a pedophile through his ex-wife, right? So here's the thing. Um, Right, so he had been married before, and when I first met him, he told me, oh, she's crazy, she's bipolar, she would back me into a corner, she would scream at me, she was the reason for the divorce, she is unstable, she would accuse me of pedophilia, just to one-up me in court, and I would never pedophile a child. I would, And I said, oh, wow, if you're amazing and she's bipolar, then you and I can have an amazing relationship. I'll help you with your children. We're going to be okay. <laughs> and I was really excited to marry this man mm-hmm. who I thought was awesome. Yeah, as we all and, do. Yeah, and then as time went on, he uh, started the emotional abuse. I would say things like, I'll get farther away from you as you push me away. No copper judge will ever believe you. You know, F you, Carolyn, you know, B word. Call me abusive again, you know, and he would stand right in my space threatening physical harm. Um, He never did lay a hand on me, which is why I was like, oh, this isn't abuse. This isn't abuse, but it would it would continue um, to the point where it was no no longer acceptable, and I had to get out. And at that time, I didn't realize that the pedophilia, you know, was a current problem. Um, and so, f- for a long time, I was trying to save my marriage, and I wanted it to work out. And it took me a while to recognize it as totally unacceptable. Yeah, absolutely, and. Um... So how did you find out that he was a pedophile? But at this time, had you spoken to his ex-wife or no? Uh, you know, he had said, hey, I'm not a pedophile. So obviously that did, he wanted to make sure he knew that. <laughs> but, um, right. So but how he, did you find out originally? Me, right. So, okay, so he told me that she had accused him of pedophilia right. and that his son you know, said that on a camping trip he had done inappropriate behaviors, you know, in the tent. And so I only heard my ex-husband's side of the story, and I never did read the court documents that she took him to court with. And I I never did. I just believed my ex-husband, and I didn't talk to the first ex-wife. And that's one of the biggest regrets that I have. I wish I would have talked to her first and even read the court documents um, because later on, after I separated from him, she called me and she said, hey, are you okay? And I said, oh, my gosh, what just happened? I don't understand. And she goes, I know the same thing happened to me, and I, I just want you to know that I know what that feels like. And 
And so eventually we started going to lunch once in a while, and she brought me court documents that were submitted in her court case. And, I mean, it was just astounding the level of aggression, legal aggression that he took against her and her children. And they had been in court battles for, gosh, almost nine years. Nine years. Wow. And and I only started this three years, so it's been three years since I left him. I've been in interstate court battles where we've had jurisdictional issues. I've had two open court cases with three different attorneys. We've spent over $100,000 in legal fees, which also was provided by the grace of God. Um, I married someone who was very well off financially and yet would write everything off with self-employment and to try to make his income you know, look like it was less than my salary job. And I, it just, the fact that we had to um, spend so much energy and legal, so much money and legal fees and so much energy, you know, sorting out the truth from the falsity um, has been the biggest ruin I could possibly explain. Um, But if anyone is out there who's going through this, I want you to know that you're going to get through this, take it one step at a time. Keep documenting, keep your head above water, and when you feel that urge to try to forgive him or that pull to say, oh, you still love him, you can't really be that crazy, look at your documentation so you can say, well, on such and such date, he said this, and on such and such date, he said that. That's not loving behavior. Someone who does that isn't loving. So, you know, please recognize what is real love and what is um, manipulation and abuse. Yeah. Yes, um, and and that's the hard part is identifying um, what is love and what is abuse because they mix the two together. But that being said, um, you had um, a lawyer in two different states. You had to have a lawyer in two different states. Uh, tell us why that had to happen. Right, so I've had three lawyers that we've been financially liable to. I had to have a family law attorney in the state of California. I had to have a family law attorney in the state of Utah, and we had a guardian ad litem attorney appointed by the court for the child that was born in California. So I had two children by this man. I had two boys, and the first son was born in the state of California. And when I left him, I brought my children with me. He had no problem. When I separated from him, my children were living with me where we were. I got legal advice on what to do. And she said, well, there is not an existing custody order. You don't have any support here. If you need to go be by family, you're legally okay to do that. You should go be by family. So I was pregnant with my second child at that time and said, okay. And so I went to stay with family while I sorted out what to do. And so I came to the state of Utah. It was at that time that he could have filed an ex parte motion, um, but he did not. He waited 20 days to file that emergency order until he knew which judge was on the bench in the state of California, filed it that date, and then that started the succession of events. And then, because I was pregnant when I left, I had a child in the state of Utah, and that child was covered under Utah jurisdiction. So we had to file for custody orders for the Utah resident baby. 
And then as the court case got increasingly ugly in California, the judge appointed a guardian ad litem for the California son. And that guardian ad litem was ordered to be paid for equally by him and I. And so we have had, I have had to retain and maintain three attorneys for several years. And um, now, uh, this was a shock to me, and it might be a shock to my listeners as well. I was actually surprised that the child, uh, the state that has jurisdiction over this child is where they were born. Is that correct? So, yes. So when a child is born in a state and the parents don't get along and have to divorce, the court proceedings will occur you know, where that family is living and if that child has been a resident of that state. So what happened was when I came to Utah and he filed those paperwork to begin the proceedings, that judge that he knew was on the bench ordered that the California child be returned to him in California because it was a California child. Therefore, he had to be returned to California until the court was resolved. So it was an excruciating time because... My son was only two years old at the time and had never been apart from me, you know, overnight in his life. It was really quite painful, but, you know, my ex was willing to do that to the child in order to one-up and win this court battle. Right. And you're right. They don't care about the children. They only care about hurting you. Right. And when we had to establish custody orders for the baby and we went to court in Utah State and the declaration that he submitted and signed, it was, uh, oh, prior to this, he was denying paternity of the baby, like you were sleeping around. And of course, I wasn't. I was faithful in my whole marriage, but, you know, I have doubts about him. And he was accusing me of being unfaithful and all of this. And and he knew that it was his, and I know he knew, but he was playing this game so that he wouldn't be liable for any child support payments. So he said, well, I don't even believe it's mine. Go get a paternity test. And so I went and got the paternity test. It was his. All of that was established. It just dragged on the process of allowing the courts to establish you know, child support payment orders and establish, you know, what needed to occur for the children. And then um, after the whole denying the paternity issue, um, he submitted a declaration saying, well, I want the child returned to me immediately, even a few days after birth. And I just find that so grossly... um, despicable because what person in their right mind would take a baby from their mother, from their food source, I, I would breastfeed because I believe that breast milk is the best and blah, 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 blah. Right. And it's better for the children. So, I mean, for someone to go say, oh, it's not even mine, to saying, oh, I want it at the expense of the baby's own connection and own health, it just... He would he would try to do things in court only to serve himself and not for right. not for any kind of child. Um, happy resolution between us and the children, right? Right. And as we said before, their whole motive is 
uh, not their concern for the children, but a concern for controlling you or hurting you. Um, so this is a, a question I have. Uh, in three years, you spent over $100,000. The ex-wife who is in court with him for nine years, how much does she spend? Do we know? Oh, over that at least. Um, because her yeah. her dad is very well off as well. Um, they, you know, have they're established but um this ended up being so ridiculously expensive. If they had any brains whatsoever, <laughs> we we wouldn't have had to fight about this in such a vicious and malicious way, um with slime just thrown at us, I, I think what happened was he needed to put the blame on anybody and anyone else so that he wouldn't get caught for the crimes that he was committing. So he, like, had to do it in this way. And if he just wouldn't, I just wish that he could have looked at the cost of this, not only financially, but, you know, how our children were raised. Um, this this has been their childhood. That's just the only childhood that they've known, and I'm doing the best that I can now that we've had. We have final court orders, and we have some stability. And the judge ordered the move away for the California child, and now the child's with me, and we have established life. Thank goodness, and he has visitation only, and it's just it's a total reversal. But uh, we are still in process of healing from all of this extreme. Um, legal extensions and trauma and pack of lies and trying to get the child to say things that aren't true and have no regard for the child's psychological health and I mean, my poor son and so I got him into play therapy as soon as I got custody restored and he's been going to him twice a month since I've regained um, custody and so he's, he's healing um, but you know no child should have to experience that because um, adults people are unable to recognize what is best for the children. I mean, this yeah, this was just awful. Yeah, and, um, okay, I just had a question come to mind that I wanted to ask. Um, but let me think about it for a moment. <laughs> How did I forget? Um, the children, how did you get them back? How did you get your son back? Now, if I remember correctly, um, you didn't even know that the, the the allegations were being made until you received a phone call from law enforcement. Is that correct? Right. So, you know, what's funny about this is I had intuition. I had that gut feeling in the same yeah. week that the, that the allegations were made. So what happened was, was while my California son was with his dad, he made a disclosure to a daycare provider. And this was the second disclosure. He'd done this tactic before, but they didn't open any investigations at that time, and they just said it's not substantiated, closed, all done. And so this a second time, while he was in my ex's custody, he made another report saying, oh, mommy sticks a toy up my bum. And he made that allegation to a daycare worker in California. The daycare worker 
made a report to California Child Protective Services. Child Protective Services made a report to Utah State Child Protective Services, which is called uh, Department of Child and Family Services in Utah. Department mm-hmm. of Child and Family Services made a report to local law enforcement. Local law enforcement detective gave me a phone call. But prior to this detective opening this potential case against me being a pedophile, totally ridiculous and just enrages me yeah. to no end. Um, I Understood. got a text message from my ex-husband. and The text message that I got prior to even being contacted by a law person was, oh, are you in jail? Oh, I thought you'd be in jail. And it was prior to it as if he had planned this to falsely imprison me. And it got right. so, so, so bad. Um, so this detective was buzzing around and wanted to talk with me, and it just it was a really scary so time for me because I felt so vulnerable. Making false accusations. I'm sorry. Uh, you have to wonder why they don't um, go to jail for making false accusations. Right. So this is the thing as well. Um, he. This, yeah, Shireen, <laughs> was, the truth came out, obviously, and the, I'm not a pedophile, and thank goodness the courts, right. you know, closed that, but nothing, I was never charged with any crime against children, and they right. finally saw it for what it was, it was a dispute on custody for him trying to um, take custody from me through a pack of lies, right. and and so and they finally saw it for what for it was. a year, right? So prior to that, I had um, I had lost custody for a year, but it was because of this report that because he couldn't leave this pedophile issue alone because he was accusing everybody else. If he hadn't have done that, I don't know if I ever would have gotten custody restored because my son would have been a California resident. There would have been nothing we could do. We would just go on with status quo. But because my ex kept pushing the pedophile issue, it's what turned the table. I've got custody restored because it's obvious that it was a pack of lies and he did it to himself. And right. I'm like really grateful for flags. that because I'm sorry. It raised red flags. Well, it, it, right. So it came out as unsubstantiated and right. a pack of, pack of lies and therefore custody was restored to me and he got visitation only. Right. And so they they swapped it on him. And so they moved the child from the state of California to the state of Utah now. He's a Utah resident because of that. And, you know, thank thank the Lord. But yeah. it was awful to have to go through that because yeah. I'm I'm not guilty of anything so atrocious, but I believe he is um, because yeah. he was, he wanted to put it on someone else so that he wouldn't have to serve the time for his own behavior. Right. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if and when he gets caught by some other child's parents and then ends up having a I don't know, but I just know that what I went through was awful. It was so awful. Right, it was. It was. Um Completely. Now, I remember, um, is it when he had custody that you'd fly down there and he'd fly up here 
I know you're flying the kid back and forth, and you had to bring him. Um, is that when you had to, he had custody down there? So I had visitation, and how California courts resolved this was they ordered that the California child have three weeks in California and one week in Utah. So even though I had just given birth to a baby, I would leave my baby with my sister while I would drive to the airport, get in a plane, fly from Utah to California, pick up my son, fly back with my son, drive home, pick up my baby, resume my life for one week, drive back to the airport, do the exchange. He would fly the opposite way. He would pick up and then take home. And so we would swap the the way of the flights, and he would go one way, I would go the other way. But we would do that every single month. We have done Mm -hmm. that since January of 2016 through August of 2018. So... What is that, two and a half years? Two, two and a half years of monthly flights. This child has so many sky miles. (laughs) (laughs) Racking up the miles. (laughs) (laughs) My my son has probably been around the world three times if we add up all the miles. Oh, that poor kid. Okay, so um, we established um, about the initial uh, legal abuse. The legal abuse is pretty much that he just fabricates stories. Uh, the one thing that I thought, found very interesting is he flew down there for a court hearing, and he stopped it based on the allegations that he made towards you. And you were like, he's played this game again with me. Do you remember that? So you'll have to refresh my memory again. Can you remind me what event you're talking about? There were so many court dates. I know there was. (laughs) (laughs) You flew down there for a court date. You thought you were going to have a hearing on um, the child. But he, to stop that court date, he made allegations against you. But you didn't even know about it until you're in court and he says, stands up and says, well, she has an allegation against her. We need to right. stop this court. So share that time period with us if you could. Right. So that was another time where he attempted to use the ex parte where he says, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. My son says his mother is a pedophile. She shouldn't have any custody at all because, you know, he's in danger when he's with her. So he would set a court date for that. And it got moved to a date where I was out there. Let's see, and that's right. So I hadn't even seen the allegations that were against me no. or that he was alleging were against me. And until that very day in court. And on that day, we had a traveling judge, one that wasn't familiar with our history. Um, we started out in this with a judge who, who maintained our case and who kept us in his courtroom, and he was the one to see us over and over again until he retired. And then when he retired, they had to bring in a traveling judge from a different county who didn't know the background. And when this traveling judge saw what my ex was saying about me, she was alarmed. She was like, well, you know, if 
she is doing these things, I can't in good conscience allow visitation to occur until this is closed out satisfactorily. So the guardian ad litem was ordered to follow up with this. But, you know, all of this takes time. And, of course, it's all baloney. And in the meantime, my son is ordered to be with the perpetrator. So in the meantime, my son has um, forced, he's, he's required to be with the one who is doing this garbage in the first place until this is cleared up. And it, it didn't take it wasn't very much longer at the next few court dates. It was all resolved. But, I mean, it was just horrendous how they can do one issue at a time on one court date. And on that particular court date, that was it. We had to wait for the next court date. And then on that particular issue, that was it. And then it just, and that's why this whole thing just took months and months. We had a custody trial well, that lasted over three days, yeah. over succession of months, and then we had psychologists fly in to evaluate our testimonies and present their opinions to the court, and it it was just about as messy as a court case can be. And let me ask you this, how did your um, work uh, help you or not help you? Were they understanding so I have, again, I feel like I have been blessed by God because I ended up in an office that was very accommodating. Um, I have a very stable professional career. I'm competent and independent at what I do. And yet we have the ability to rely on each other when we need to take time off. So if someone had to leave for their children, um, there were times that I found out I had to be in court the very next day and didn't know I had to be in court the very next day. I had been given advice by the attorneys that I could appear by phone, wasn't the case, had to buy the plane ticket that very day, drive there, start the travel to arrive the following day. And they were like, okay, that's fine. You know, we're okay here. And so I had great support as far as that went. Thank the Lord. Yeah, because a lot of women lose their jobs because of, uh, different things, but you actually were like truly blessed that you could afford these lawyers because who could afford two and three lawyers? I mean, that's outlandish. Three lawyers. So I I had to maintain yeah. and sustain three lawyers, and I still have attorney debt. My my family yeah. had to pull out. But what happened was, again, by the grace and provision of God Almighty, um, we had an uncle in the family. <laughs> pass away. Like, who has an uncle pass away as one? It sounds like such a cliche. Oh, get an inheritance from a great <laughs> uncle. But that's that's really what happened. Um, and the irony about this is that my grandmother was the administrator of the estate. And my grandmother was going to donate it all anyway. She was going to donate it to a, a cause that she felt strongly about. But the irony is, is one day she calls me and she says, Carolyn, I just feel strongly that I need to fund you in this endeavor. I need to make sure you have the attorney support that you need. I will use this money for this purpose. And they're restructuring the estate and the will and and things like that so that I will not have um, inheritance when I come of age. But I'm okay with that. I needed it for the protection of my children. And it's a bummer that I won't have inheritance money at all when I 
we can expect inheritance one day, but at least this money was available at the time that it was needed. Um, and yeah. by the and it was just like perfect timing as far as that goes because my ex husband's family is very well off, and so they can right. you know they 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 factor in attorneys as part of the cost of doing business. I mean their firm was in court multiple have been discontent with their work and have had to have lawsuits against them before. So they are familiar with being in court. And I just, not the way I want to live life. I want to live life open and honest and respectful and refund people if necessary. And that type of thing, honest business with people, not dishonest business where people would be slighted or taken advantage of and have to take someone to court to receive the what was their right. Right. Um, have you tried to recoup any of your losses through tr- making him pay for it? Any of your lawyers do that? So he was found in contempt of court twice. On the first occasion, in June of 2018, the judge found him to be in noncompliance with existing court orders. He was ordered to do 120 hours of community service and ordered to pay 2000 of my attorney's fees, um, which was needed because by then we had used up the money from my uncle who passed away and I was going on debt in order to sustain this. And so she ordered him to pay 2000 of those fees to pay down that. And so that was great. Um, and then a second time he was found in contempt of court in the state of Utah for noncompliance with that. And, you know, just... But again, it's always a slap on the wrist. There's no... Um, he just does whatever he wants to do. And for me, I structure my whole life around the the law, around the court order. The court order says right. I need to do X, Y, Z. I do X, Y, Z. He does whatever he wants. And a lot of times he knows shows or will be 45 minutes late or just he just doesn't have the same respect for the law that I do. And it's um, um, very well, frustrating to work with that kind of person. Of course, of you don't have to. <laughs> right, because said. yeah, when you're a narcissist, you don't you you feel like you don't have to. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So yeah. that is the kind of person that that I married, and I know the word narcissist gets thrown around a lot, but this yeah, really yeah. is someone that problem. Um, well, just I recognize just it as experience problem. empathy. He probably right. has uh, more personality disorders than that one. Right. And, you know, if for whatever reason I ended up attracted to him when we first met and then we had a family that I thought was going to be an amazing family and it ended up being a nightmare. Um, but the joy out of it, though, are my two amazing sons and they're um, just bright and inquisitive and, and we're going to be all right in the end. It's just that it's um process for sure. Yeah. And yeah, what a blessing your little guys are for sure. They've been quite a blessing. Um, we're gonna go to a public service announcement today for a moment and then we'll be right back. Sounds great. 
This message is for all of you sitting in the passenger seat, and apologies if it gets a little uncomfortable, but how does it feel to be at the mercy of someone who thinks a random text is more important than your life? Someone who takes their eyes off the road while speeding along in a three-ton hunk of steel. Freaky, right? Well, why not just ask them to stop? Or better yet, volunteer to text for them. It might be a little awkward, but believe me, you'll live. Learn more at StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Welcome back to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse with your host, Shereen Rice, on the CWR Talk Network. Welcome back to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence with Shereen Rice. And um, we are talking to Carolyn, and she was telling us about how her abuser used the legal system to continue perpetration. And um, would I be accurate, Carolyn, in saying it's the the legal abuse was more by taking you into court a hundred million times because he can afford it? Or how would you describe that? The legal abuse, well, I think that's a good description. But what it was is it was multiple court date issues and further unresolved issues and further court dates and further unresolved issues and further court dates and further unresolved issues and further court dates and so on, you know, for years. Um, I have been three years separated from him now, and their divorce has been final for a while, but we even had to bifurcate our divorce because these issues he just would not negotiate or be able to come to any reasonable conclusion for what is good for the kids and really wanted to take custody and so would use lies and DCFS and child protective services and even police detectives to try to deceive the courts and it ended up being really um, extensive in the depths that he would go in order to obtain the one up and all because of you know pride or the inability to say okay well look at this huge mess we've made let's do what's best from here and he just we we could never come to the table on where where we were at and um, no ability to take accountability was always blaming me how dare I leave him and it's true I came to be with family because I had nowhere else to go. I mean, what was I going to do? His, he and his parents, you know, dropped me and um, condemned me and criticized me and blamed me, even though, you know, he was the one uh, abusing my children as well as his former children. So here's the other little tidbit about um, this particular situation, I ended up being the supervisor of his children with his first wife because his first wife had full custody and he had supervised visitation only with those children. That should have been a big red flag. Um, I never did read those court <laughs> documents until after we were married, after we were separated. And I, oh, I wish I had. But um, I ended up being the court-appointed supervisor for his visitation with his children. And then when he treated them 
out of line and it was abusive, it put me in the worst moral dilemma of my life to that point because I had to decide where is my loyalty. My my husband, who I thought was this amazing human being, told his son that he wished he was dead and nobody loves him and the emotional abuse was so bad um, and it just was not okay. And when I would try to approach him about, well, when you say things like this, it, it's painful. It, it's not okay. He would say, well, you have to support me 100%. I am never wrong. I am never wrong. You know, and it was just iron fist his way or the highway. And I could never get through to him. And when he did that abuse on his on his child from his first relationship, I had to make a decision whether or not I was going to report it because I was a court-mandated supervisor, which I don't recommend for anyone. If you're ever in a relationship, don't be the supervisor. Get a professional. Don't don't bring that into the dynamic. Um, but so I, I made the call and I said, this is what happened. Here are my concerns. What do you think? She goes, that's definitely abuse. I'm, I'm, so she made a court date for the first ex-wife and said, okay, we're having a court date. There's been abuse in the home. And, oh, he was mad. He was so mad. I came home, and the whole house had been empty. He'd he'd taken his stuff, moved back in with his parents. And I tried to explain to them where I was coming from, but there there was no getting through to him or his parents. His mom and his dad came to help him get away from me. How dare I you know, expose what his son had done. I, you know, I was to blame. I ruined everything. I, you know, made it so he could never see his children again, you know, and um, no apology for what he had put <laughs> the, the what, children how through. What he did? Yeah, how about right. what he did? Right. No, and so no one the, recognized that part? <laughs> right. And so the parents um, shouted yeah. at me, you know, I was to blame. Oh you caused this and you, 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 you know, there's no accountability for them. They just run amok in people's lives and think that they can just run all over people and um, it's totally unacceptable and you cannot treat children in abusive ways and continue to have healthy relationships. You are going to be left and your children are going to be taken from you eventually, if not by the system, then by their own knowledge. When those children are big enough to understand what went on, they are not going to want anything to do with you because of how awful you've been to them. So, you know, one day those children will be taken, whether it's, anyway, just (sighs) so much. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry, for sure. Okay, one last question, sweetie. Um, (laughs) If we weren't such good friends, you know, (laughs) Uh, but um, <laughs> one last question, though. Um, the law enforcement officer that started calling you about this new allegation that he had made when he had made the allegation, did you find his tactics or um, his tone of voice um, uh, abusive? And your did you think that that, that that your husband was using him as an abuse tactic? We know that for sure, actually. But was the um the the officer overbearing did he call you consistently i can't remember exactly so i'm asking you this cuz i've heard this in the past um was he threatening anything like that yes very much so um he called me multiple times 
and he he left me a message, and then the next day another message, and then I called him back, and I said, well, I'm happy to talk about things with you, and he goes, well, I want you to come in for an interview, and, you know, I was like, sure, and then I started talking about it, and this is the time when I actually discussed this with you, I think if you remember, and um, you took me down to Victims Advocacy Group, and the Victims Advocate yeah. at the police station would not have been able to accompany me into the interview. And that's what made me nervous because I said, well, I'll go talk to the police officer, no problem, but I just want someone there with me while I'm talking to the police officer. And the detective said no. The detective wanted me alone in the room with him. And I, like, got my hairs on my arms went up. I was like, no way. Because... So I went to a criminal attorney. Oh, so I had a fourth attorney for a while. Oh, my gosh, I forgot. I had a fourth attorney. I had to hire a criminal attorney because I couldn't get me. They wouldn't be able to go with me during the interview. So I had to get a criminal attorney who could. So we Mm -hmm. did that. And um, he told me, the criminal attorney told me, you know, the detectives, the police, you know, aren't your friends. A crime has been alleged, and it's their job to get a conviction. So whether or not you're guilty, they'll pretend to be nice, they'll pretend to be your friend, and then they'll turn it around on you. And then if you're a flabbergasted kind of woman, you could easily incriminate yourself, even though you didn't do anything wrong. And so I was like, wow. And he ended up you know, handling it. And they never ended up charging me with anything anyway because it was clear that it was just a custody. It was an attempt to take custody from me through yet another pack of lies. And so the case was closed and all of that. But the drama that he put my child through, my child had to sit through a forensic interview where they were asking him, you know, about what uh, what occurred with me and he's only little he's only three years old at this point Mm. and what what kind of three-year-old it's just totally um awful that someone would put a three-year-old child through a forensic interview about um sexual pedophilia against their own parents i mean it's, it's just disgusting um that this would even be um situation that someone would put a child through but my ex-husband you know wanted that to happen so that he could uh, manipulate my child into saying incriminating things against me so he could continue his perpetration on the child and his control of the child and his uh, anyway it's awful but all that perpetration is what you're talking about right yes it's psycho perpetration and then the psychological manipulation was the heaviest because right. he would only right. he would only pursue the sexual perpetration if he believed he could get away with it. So there were times when, you know, I didn't see evidences of him acting out sexually. And so there were times when there was space, I believe, from molestation events. But there were times when my son has shown sexual behaviors that were atypical for his age. You know how there's normal exploratory touching and normal Mm -hmm. curiosity, but the kinds of things that my child was doing was beyond normal exploratory touching Mm -hmm. and awareness in a way that uh, was clear to me was beyond 
what was reasonable. So every time those issues would come up, I would report them to DCFS and say, well, this is what happened. And it was never evidence for them to open anything against my ex-husband. It was always just short of what they needed to, to, so, so far nothing has come of it, but I'm, I'm frustrated with that because um, there have been multiple little events that are so clear to me were the result of molestation by his father that when I would try to express it to them, they would take me as the vindictive ex just trying to one-up a custody issue. And so when when people are in a custody dispute but there's actual perpetration going on, I feel powerless. I feel like the system isn't there to actually help those who need the help. But then again, how can they? How can they decipher the what is truth from falsity in these kinds of situations? And I just we're just going forward one issue at a time. Right. And the saddest part was that he didn't care about the child and what he had to go through when he went through this. No, well, of course, he's perpetrating on him as well. So, um, right. One last question. I know I just said that, but I'm going to ask another one. Does he see his other children very often? Do you know? <laughs> no. So I just had a conversation with her because we're friends. Well, we'll we'll ask how each other are. We'll say, how are you? Good. you know, so once in a while, we'll we'll because she ended up not being bipolar. She's actually awesome, and she's such an <laughs> incredible person. And um, so I found out that he doesn't go visit them at all. He moved away, doesn't have anything to do with them. He was only fighting her so hard about them because she said he wanted to punish her for how dare she, you know, put a stop to his behavior and not allow him to treat her so terribly and to treat her children like that. And so he just has no pursuit of those children whatsoever. He misses their birthdays and he just doesn't oh, no. have any involvement in them uh, at all. So, and then, so I'm hoping that will be the case. I'm hoping that one day he will just forget about me and these children and be, be, be leaving us alone I don't know what it will take for him to get to that point, but it's it's like they have this intense aggression, 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 and then as soon as it stops serving their need, they just they're gone. Like they will focus their energy somewhere else, and they just keep hoping that's the case for us. Well, not they had, the last uh, family had or wife had nine years of 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 abuse, uh, legal abuse. Nine years of legal abuse. Yeah, I know. And three, and you've had three so far, three or four, right? I have had three. It began in January of 2016, and so I have had three in a month. Right. (laughs) And has he continued seeing the children once a month? Does he come to see the children once a month, or how does he do that? So at this at the end where I got custody restored to me and my child moved away to Utah and, and my children are living together with me, they're not living separated custody orders. And the order is that visitation will occur in the state of Utah for one weekend per month. And so he has been coming to exercise that visitation. And I think it's because he wants to impress the new wife, that he's father of the year, and he cares about his children oh, so no, much. Oh, you got and a new wife? 
So he's remarried, and I think he gets a wife in order to put on a show of being a family man, when in reality he has a homosexual tendency. In reality, he, and even a homosexual pedophile tendency. And that, right. And so he'll get a wife, I think, to hide his his undercurrent desire. Um, So this wife, though, um, he wants to impress her. So he has been coming to visitations. I, I don't know you know what to expect but we abide by the court order the court order is exchanges have to occur at the police station um it's awful that i have a court order that requires me to deliver my child to who i believe is a pedophile who is a pedophile from everything that i've experienced with him and my children's behavior and the other children's behavior he's never convicted of it and yet i believe it has occurred and and I know I have witnessed the psychological abuse and the physical abuse and, and just the slapping out of rage instead of, you know, out of discipline and healthy love discipline. It was, you know, slapping out of rage and all of that. So I experienced the true abuse in that way from him. And yet I have to turn my child over to him under these court orders. And I don't. I don't know the end result, but we're still in the thick of it, and we just keep taking it one issue at a time. And you deliver them to the police department? You know there's what's called the blue butterfly. It's um, where parents... I tried. I tried. Uh, so I presented that to the courts, and I said, this is where I want visitation to occur. And, you know, that didn't it didn't work in this situation. I, because I had supervised visitation, they weren't willing to give me supervised visitation for my children, even though the first wife had supervised visitation only, um, because in this situation there hadn't been proof that he'd been molested by his father. Therefore, you know, in this situation it's parallel to the first case. I don't know how the law can do that, but apparently the law can separate this issue even though there's been a problem with the first children, it's separate from these children. Therefore, he can still have access to these children. I don't know. But he doesn't have supervised visitation. We we ended up um, doing it that way, so we did not end up utilizing the Blue Butterfly House, although I would have right. liked that very much. Yeah. Okay, and one last question. He hasn't even been divorced a year, right? <laughs> no. Uh, no. So I don't know when he got remarried. He doesn't tell me anything. I know he was dating while I was pregnant with his first, with uh, the baby. Oh, I know I found him on dating websites. Yeah. Well, actually, I didn't, but my friend did who was single. And she called me and she said, Oh, I saw your husband on such and such dating site. Is everything okay? And I was like, Oh, well, actually, no. <laughs> so. <laughs> You know, I know that he wasn't, um, you know, committed to our relationship even when I thought we were trying to be a, a healthy family and trying to resolve problems. And then I understand when I finally came to the realization of the depth of the problems and the unresolvability of that, um, I had to come to the reality that what I was living wasn't reality and that I needed to move right. on. Right. Yeah, what I used to say is, um, I got married, but my husband didn't. (laughs) Right. (laughs) 
Right. Well, I too. I went in with my whole heart. I went in with my whole heart because, yeah. you know, I really wanted, you know, the family and the the whole. Anyway, so I'm with you on that. Yeah. No, but I I totally understand. Uh, we're completely encapsulated uh, in in enmeshed in our relationship, and we feel that this is. Uh, one that's going to last forever and he's Prince Charming and he's whisked me off and we're going to have a little white pick fence and we're going to raise our children and everything's going to be perfect. And then, and then we find out the truth. <laughs> right, right. The threats, I'll make your life hell and don't think I can't. You know, and and then he's yeah. made good on that. I mean, he he would say those kinds of things and then make good on it. And I know that he would have no, he would not lose sleep over putting me in jail over false accusations. Mm-hmm. In fact, he would be right. delighted if I went to jail over false right. accusations, so that he would have someone else to blame for his bad behavior. Now, uh, I'm not sure if you've met the new wife. Is she younger? And is he going to have more kids at this point? So the new wife, she is Polynesian. She speaks Tagalog. I don't even know if I say that language correctly. I always call it Tagalog because I'm so English speaking. But I think it's Tagalog, and it's it's Polynesian. Um, she seems actually pretty pretty cool. She seems sweet, but she was cold toward me the way I was cold to the first wife. I'm sure she's heard him say how crazy I was and how dare I leave him and how dare I keep taking him to court, you know. So I think that, right, and then I'm right. Right. And so, you know. I mean, you know. Right. So she was a little reserved with me, but I didn't get weird vibes about her. I don't know her yet, but she seemed like a pretty put-together person. And if she's anything like the first wife or me, <laughs> I feel like she's going to be a pretty responsible, put-together person. And I don't know how these narcissists attract people like us where we have our lives you know, reasonably together in our professional life, but in our personal lives we end up falling for people like this. And um, I suspect that their marriage isn't going to last very long. I'm not you know, wishing them ill if they're able to sustain it. But I do believe him to have a homosexual tendency, even a homosexual pedophile tendency, and I think that's going to interfere with the success of this relationship. So, <laughs> God bless him. Yeah, thanks. Not my problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is off the subject, but um, I do get asked this question, so I'm going to ask you this question. Have you said anything to her about him being abusive? So I can't, I don't have access to her. The only the only exposure that we've had was at the police station at one of our exchanges. So the court order is that the exchanges occur at the police station. I bring my child to the police station. He meets us there. She came with him. She was in the lobby. I shook her hand. I said, hi, I'm Carolyn. She goes, hi, I'm May, <laughs> you know, and she was, she was sweet. She, she looks like she's a little bit older, older than him, which I think is great. I, I hope that that's the case because she'll probably be a little bit more mature than say if he had mm-hmm. picked up, you know, a teenager or a young twenties or something because they don't yeah, have to seem. Yeah, and I think he'd do that. 
Right. Well, he ended up marrying someone probably in our generation, maybe even older than him. And I don't know for certain, but that would be my guess. And um, I'm sure you don't know. Yeah, and I'll tell you why I, I asked you that question, because everyone always asks me, would you say something to the new wife or new girlfriend? And my, I'm always emphatic, and I say absolutely. And the reason why is because I have planted the seed, and then you start watching for the red flag. And so that's my comment to you. As soon as you have that opportunity, I don't care if you're shaking your hand saying, hey, good to see you again. He's an abuser. You know, you might want to just throw that in there. And she's not going to believe you at first, for sure. Um, But I know a lot about pawn agents because I work with them in domestic violence, and this is what I I will tell you. Uh, All pawn agents come with a package. It's called family, and he messes up, and he won't be dealing with her. He'll be dealing with some big, giant dudes that aren't, fun to play with. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> well, it would only be recompense, just recompense. If he ends up getting himself in that kind of situation, then that's on him. And if, if he know. ends up having, I would be like wanting that only so that he could learn not to be such a giant jerk. If he would have that yeah. occur, then he would realize that you can't go through life treating people like you can step on them and then turn around and go get the next one, like a refrigerator. Like, oh, it's broken, may as well get a new one. But a wife isn't mm-hmm. a refrigerator. A wife is a, is a commitment to the family and to, right. to the children so they can have that stability. But he's unhealthy, and so he's not going to look at um, anything like that, and he has convinced himself that everybody else is wrong and he's right because that's what they do, And uh, right. of course. And... Um, so he's convinced anyone around him that he's right and everybody else is wrong. And I pray that she is older than him. She has a little bit of life, more life experience, and then she might be able to see it as well, hopefully. But definitely when you have an opportunity to plant that seed because of the fact that that will give her the opportunity to continue looking for that, um, uh, give her the opportunity to continue looking for those red flags <clears throat> that we didn't know anything about. I'll be honest with you. Before I um, was badly abused, I had no idea what abuse was. I I didn't understand emotional abuse, psychological abuse, verbal abuse, financial abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. I mean, sexual abuse and physical abuse are obvious ones, right? But the the bottom line and the core to all abuses is psychological abuse, which does far more damage than physical or sexual ever considered doing, and it lasts if not forever, for a very, very long time. Especially in your formative years. So as a child, when you occur these, when you experience these events or these events mm-hmm. occur and you're forming your opinions about yourself and about your world, if you can't even trust your own understanding of the world, he would contradict the children. He would say to them, uh, they would say, oh, I know that we do have to wear our costume on such and such date because it's a Halloween party and our teacher said that we to wear our costume. And he would say, you don't know anything. I'm going to look it up right now. And he would pull out his phone mm-hmm. and he would start looking through it. And the child, I would feel the child shrinking into the back seat like as if they couldn't even trust their own reality. And he yeah. would say, we'd take him for a walk and the dolly would roll into the street because it was in the push stroller and a, um he, she would come home crying in tears. She said he wished a truck would roll over my dolly, you know, and she's shaking and um, 
you know, just because it was a nuisance to him to have to get the stroller out of the street. And um, he would, you know, destroy a child's sense of self and self-worth because of things that were perceived nuisances to him. And what what's worse is um, oh, there were just so many events. And as I look back at them, when I was in the first stages of the marriage, I thought, oh, these are normal difficulties in marriage, normal family problems, normal issues that we have to cross. But he wasn't willing to cross anything. It was his way or the highway. It was, I'm right 100%. I'm never wrong. If you criticize or contradict me, you're showing disrespect to me. That will show the children disrespect. It'll break down our family. I'm doing it for their good. And, you know, he had this amazingly distorted perception of what was good for the children and what was actually damaging their sense of self-worth and their ability to trust in the world as a safe and healthy place. Yeah. I'm so sorry that you had to go through that, but um, you've gained a great experience that you can share with others, and I'm so grateful for you to come on tonight and share um, your ongoing, it's still ongoing, legal abuse. I mean, who knows how much, how many more years you'll end up in court. Um, and he pays child support for your children and his other children, correct? Or are they over 18? <laughs> so, right. So here's the thing about that. When the custody got restored to the mothers, thank the Lord. So she has custody, full custody, supervised of hers, and I have custody. He has visitation only. We got, uh, well, the court's order, child support orders. And so he he was trying to write off all his income to be less than my salaried income, but the judge saw right through it and, you know, was able to assign an income. I know, I know, you know, they, they'll they do that. They'll, they'll you oh, know, yeah. but... Um, and they love to and take law enforcement and the judicial system. They love that. Right. It's a high, it's a high for them. Um, yeah. But he, he didn't he didn't get away with not paying anything. He was ordered to pay me as well as her. But it's a drop in the bucket for what he makes annually. I mean, he, I mean, it's a gross amount of money that this person can make. And what we receive is just a drop in the bucket for him. And if Mm -hmm. he were any kind of man or provider, he would easily offer what has been ordered by the courts and then some. He would say, oh, how's your car? Do you need this or that? You know, but, you know, a normal husband who cared about the mother of his children would would be concerned about their welfare and would ask how things are and what he could do to help. And, you know, that's, he only pays the bare minimum as ordered by law. Yeah. You know, um, um, I, I was just talking to someone not too long ago, and their, I, I kid you not, their child support is $22 a month. Wow. And who can raise a child on $22 a month? No, I mean, it's it's a joke. Well, and then as we're talking about specifics, so during the time that I had lost custody of the California child and over the pack of lies for that year, he had him in California and I had the baby in Utah. And so the court order was that I owed child support for the California baby 
and he owed child support for the Utah baby. And so how it ended up working out was that he, after everything was said and done, he was ordered to pay me $9 per month during that year. So I, that satisfied my liability for the California baby and that satisfied his liability for the Utah baby. You know, so, you know, paying $9 a month was just such a ridiculous thing. But um, that's, that, that's the kind of nitpickiness that legalistic abuse will get into. I mean, it is so nitpicky, and it doesn't need to be that way. I mean, $9 is, is laughable. I mean, he and I should be able to just work things out if we had the ability to just say, well, here's where we're at, here's where you're at, let's, um, you know, call it, cut our losses and, you know, call it done. But if we keep having court dates after court dates, these are the kinds of things that the courts will order. And has the court dates slowed down a little bit in your life? They have, and they have. So since we reached a place of move away where the child now lives in Utah and we don't have to fly him between states every single month, we we have visitation in the state of Utah, so there haven't been further court dates. I have had follow-up court dates to see um, how things are progressing and I have had interactions with the law because, of course, he'll violate the court orders, and I'm still trying to document the date and event and the date and event because he totally disregards the existing court orders over and over and over and over. And when when I try to reach out for help, nobody listens, and I just need everyone to see that he is non-compliant the majority of the time, and so I've had to. I request police assistance in exchanges and things, and we have to have exchanges at police stations because the volatility was so high. And if I remember correctly, he would threaten you if you didn't follow you follow everything to the T, but oh, yet yeah. he doesn't do it. And um, why doesn't he end right. up in jail? Right. So his favorite threat is, "I'll put you in jail. I'll find. I'll get the judge to find you in contempt of court." You know, and he would love to hang that over my head. I know the irony of it was he was found in contempt of court. And he was found in contempt of court twice, one in both states, you know, in my case alone. And I don't know if he ever was in his ex-wife's case, his first ex-wife's case. But, um, you know, the irony of it was is I, I follow the, the court order, so he can't find me in contempt of court. And the second thing is... Um, you know, it's a threat designed to get under my skin. And as I become stronger in self-development, I've tr- I become more successful in not letting those things, you know, affect my peace and my quiet enjoyment of my life yeah. and my ability to yes. to thrive where I am. Mm-hmm. Well, on that note, um, I appreciate you coming on and, I'm going to end this show in just a second, but uh, do you have any last comments that you'd like to share with my listeners before we go? I think we covered a lot of ground today, and I just want you to know that if you ever find yourself in a situation where you are having to defend yourself against a pack of lies, or if you find yourself criticized or presented with folks who are false witnessing against you or who have said things that aren't true, you need to maintain a status of emotional health for yourself 
where you can rise above the lies and don't get into the emotional need to explain what is just and, and let the court decide. So bring out the facts, bring out the dates and the events, and they will speak for themselves. Um, I would say do your best to keep it as, as conflict-free as possible. And then prayer, 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 prayer. Keep a prayer in your heart, and that will pull you through. That's what pulled me through um, when I went through that. And I would say that that is one of the biggest things where I was able to recenter and refocus on how to proceed through the help with the divine. And I just want you to know that there's help out there and ways that we don't always understand that things fall into place as they're needed and that these things occur for our benefit in the end and that you can find a lot of help through um, these channels and there who are experiencing these kinds of things and more. So you can do it. Yeah, and, you know, uh, one of the biggest problems that I find in domestic violence is the women don't have the money or the the, the blessed dead and uncles <laughs> that leave the money, <laughs> which is totally a blessing, <laughs> was it not? And um, but that's the biggest problem. And so, unfortunately, a lot of women lose their children because they don't have that, which is the hardest thing to see. So, again, this is where I turn to spirituality and the reality of our our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and what is written in the Word of God because that has helped pull me through the darkest yeah. time of my life. And while I went through this whirlwind from hell, um, I turned to the Scriptures and the Word of God and it says, all things shall be restored unto you. And all we have to do is have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, which is a hope, just to hope that he is real and to hope that he cares yeah. and to hope that he cares enough to give his body on the cross for you to rise again the third day for you and that he will restore all things to their proper order. And it will happen yeah. in his timing. But we have to go through injustice in this world that at the end of times, the judgments of God will be just on the wicked and right. he allows so I would say connect with the divine go beyond your experience into looking into how we're all connected to each other through spirituality and how we're all connected to our father who loves us and has sent his son and if he can send his son you know, our children will be okay as well in the end as long as we and teach them how to live moral, ethical, kind lives that will be able to rebuild and succeed. Yes. Amen. Very good. I appreciate that. <clears throat> and uh, we will be talking soon. And um, you have a good night. And thank you so much for sharing your information with my my listeners. It's so important for them. Shereen, thank you for having me on, and I appreciate this opportunity to share my experiences and grateful for the time you know, that we it, have. Yeah, it will help a lot of sisters and, and brothers that um, are abused as well, I hope. And um, thank you so much again, sweetie. Love you. You too, soul sister, <laughs> sister from another mister. <laughs> I'm glad that we, yeah, we crossed paths. 
Blessing, great. Okay, have a good night, sweetie. Okay, good night. Okay, bye, Shereen. Mm-hmm. Good night. In closing, um, I just want to thank everyone for listening. Um, Carolyn did a great job. She has gone through hell um, 29 million times over um, through an abuser who is very savvy with the legal system because of the fact that he got really well trained on the first wife, and so he knew what to do. He knew how to do it. He knew how to manipulate the judges. He knew how to um, manipulate the law enforcement that abused her um, through false accusations. Why he didn't go to jail for false accusations, I have no idea. Um, but but um, anyway, she uh, I've, I've known her for probably two years now. Um, it was before her divorce was final. It was after she moved to Utah. And, um, and the poor thing has truly, truly suffered. And... and it, uh, but she's also seen a lot of miracles on her behalf as well. Um, so I want to thank you all for listening tonight. And next week I have an awesome person that's uh, uh, going to be on, and I'm not sure who that is because I'm not looking at it right now. Um, uh, but I want you to stay safe and, and and please help those who are suffering from domestic violence as well. And have a good night.